Today on Truth Encounter, Dave Wurtzen challenges us not to leave our Sunday morning intimacy with God in church. The real worship of God changes the way we live in the secular world. It changes the way we treat people. It means that we live right, not just speak right. This is why I'm so excited about our present series in Deuteronomy. This Old Testament book gets into the nitty-gritty, down where we live. It teaches us how God wants us to act at the office and at home, not just in the church building. Let's join Dave as he continues to apply Deuteronomy chapter 11 to our contemporary society. As God's children, we need to move from the worship of the great creator God, but we need to move it right into our business. And across this world, we should be known as the people of God who obey the moral commands of God. If we give our word in a business deal, it's done. No bribes could shake us in a million years. No better deal could get us to change. If we gave our word, that's it. Because we're a people of truth. And we care a whole lot more about whether I'm right with our Father in heaven than we care about whether or not we've got more money in our pocket. And when, when our spiritual relationship with God fleshes out into that kind of moral ethic, there will be a mighty moving in the Spirit of God. Moses goes on and says this. He says, I want you to defend the cause of the fatherless and the widow. We always want to be a people. We always want to be a people that talk about the forgiveness of the cross. If someone's had an abortion, it can be covered by the blood of Calvary, and that can be forgiven. If someone is a homosexual, their homosexuality can be forgiven, and through the power of the resurrection, they can be powerfully transformed, and they can learn to struggle against that illicit passion and learn just the way all of us have to learn how to allow the living, resurrected power of Christ to change our lives. And there always is that message of grace, but don't ever let the message of grace cause you to not be strong against what is wrong. Grace makes you stronger against what is wrong. And so we need to be a people that defend the cause of the fatherless, the orphans, people that don't have anybody. Let's just bring it right into the way that we live as the body of Christ. The nursery. Now, they're not orphans. But you know, whether or not the nursery is strong and vital, and whether or not there's really very loving, gentle, hygienic, skillful people that are there, you know that he can empty this place of all the young married couples just like that of the nursery isn't right where it needs to be. So that's very much related to our expression of love for one another. And in our family, we share the things. We share the responsibilities. Be very careful about getting the attitude, well, I don't have people in that age group yet. Ask yourself, why do I minister? Why do I do what I do? Do I do it just to meet the needs of my own kids? It'll change your life if you begin to think, I want to meet the needs of others. That's what this whole business about relationship with God is about. We need to all unite as the people of God. What happens on Monday is important, very important. Where does all that caring for the unfortunate come from? 
You see, there's some real negative things, like I talked about the abortion issue in our country and, and some of those heinous, murderous things that are happening. But there's another side. And I want to ask you a question. Where did that caring for the unfortunate come from? Where did that desire to help someone that has been totally destroyed and there's no way they could help themselves, where does that desire to reach forth to them come from? Right from here. Because you are a people that you can never escape it. That Deuteronomy was right at the foundation of our nation and the beliefs that shaped and formed the United States of America. I'm not saying that the United States is the new holy land. That's not a biblically correct thing. But I want you to realize that the Old Testament is very strong that all the nations of the world are included under God's sovereignty. And God's moral standards apply to them. And the nations that follow God's moral standards, for example, Proverbs is a book not just addressed to national Israel, but it's the wisdom of all peoples. And it says this, righteousness, conformity to God's standards, will build a people. But sin, it will exalt a nation. But sin is a curse. It's a reproach to any people. And so what Moses is reminding his people, he's saying, don't forget, lest you forget. Don't forget the alien. Don't forget the person that doesn't have any vested interest. Don't forget the person that will starve if you don't help them. And then the people say, well, why should he do that? And Moses says, because I want you to remember. Remember that you used to be slaves in Egypt. Look at verse 19. You were to love those who were aliens, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths only in his name. He is your praise. He is your God. He is the one that performed those great and awesome wonders you saw it with your own eyes. Your forefathers who went down into Egypt were 70 in all, but now they become a gigantic multitude. And what Moses is saying, you people have had the blessing of God upon you. You were just a 70 uh, strong nation, just 70 people with Jacob went down into Egypt under Joseph. But now they become several million strong, probably two million strong. And Moses says God has fulfilled his promise, but he says don't ever forget. Some of the ways that you as a church family encourage me in so many different ways is through the years, like at Thanksgiving time, we'll get call after call. Do you know someone that needs a turkey? Do you, need, do you know a family that we could provide for? Do you know a family we could bring in? At Christmas time, some of you have, have gone into some of the areas where some, some of our friends from other cultures have gathered together. And you have really cared for them. And that really motivates me and encourages me. Why? Because you're fleshing out the heartbeat of what Moses is saying. I'll never forget it. I, I, I'll never forget unbelievers that were in World War II that would talk about the Salvation Army volunteers bringing the coffee to them while they were resting in between the fighting. And those men have never forgotten cups of hot coffee that they didn't even have to go and get in line for because the volunteers brought it to them. You see, that kind of religion speaks. That kind of religion speaks without saying anything. The Lord cares for the alien. And the alien symbolizes the person that hasn't had the blessing that you have and that life's taken a rough turn. All the way through the rest of this book as we study together, as we try to get the heartbeat of God, 
We're going to find out just to give you a foretaste of some of the rules that God has given. If you were, let's suppose that you were a pecan farmer, okay? If you were a pecan farmer in ancient Israel, the Lord would let you go through your pecan trees one time. You could shake them really good. And you could get all the harvest you could, but you couldn't go and shake them again. If you guys were harvesting wheat, Kim Lewis could go through his wheat crop one time, one time, and that was it. And then everyone else was invited to go through the field. So, for example, if you were a Ruth who was a Moabitess whose husband had died, you couldn't just sit and the government just didn't hand you a check. But if you were hungry, every farmer in the land would welcome you into his field, and if they were godly farmers, they would be very careful that even a single disenfranchised widow woman would be safe. And they would let her glean, and she could work every single day, and she could provide for her family. You see, God cares for the poor, and he's also very wise because he knows that when a wealthy class just feels guilty, and they just give gifts, that there's control in it, and also it causes those who are poor to lose their respect. Because deep in all of our souls, one of the deepest things that we want to do in the, in the divine image inside of us is we want to work so that we can eat. And so God's principles, his moral teaching, doesn't ever rob people of that opportunity by the sweat of their brow to earn. And oh, the wisdom. Oh, if our modern governments would learn this ancient, practical, common sense the realities of the way that human life is, how much more skillful and how much more wise and how much more beautiful and healing things would be. Moses goes on in chapter 11 to remind the people again, I want you to see how he kind of goes in a cycle. He goes into Egypt and he draws a lesson from it. He goes back into Egypt and draws another lesson from it. He does it again in chapter 11. He comes back to his major theme, Love the Lord your God for you that are musicians, some of you like Eric and Chris and some of you others that are musicians. Here you have, Moses likes to write like a symphony. And he keeps weaving in his theme, his repeated theme. He doesn't write in outlines. That's why it's hard for Western preachers to handle his writing. He's much more artistic than just telling you. How many of you heard messages all your life? Today we're going to hear about blah, 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 and here's point one, point two, point three. How many of you heard messages like that all your life? Well, most of the Bible isn't like that at all. Most of the Bible makes a point, weaves around a little bit, comes back to the point, weaves around a little bit, comes back to the point. You know why? Because the Bible knows the way we really are. Three points and an illustration make a great logical message, but they don't change lives very much. In order to change lives, you've got to hammer it again. God has to hammer it in my heart. David, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. I want you to love me. Care for the alien. I want you to love me. Remember Egypt. And he's going to talk to us about something else. Let's look at what it is. He says, remember, verse 2. Remember today that your children were not the ones who saw the, and experienced the discipline of the Lord God. I want you to notice that Moses considers all the wilderness history a question of discipline. All that they did in Egypt was a question of God training them. 
One of the major metaphors that Moses uses for God's relationship with his people is that of a wise daddy who's skillfully training his kids. And he gives them positive experiences, he protects them, he provides for them, he carefully guides them in the wilderness, but he also disciplines them, he reproves them, he corrects them when they do wrong. And all the Egyptian experience and all that they went through in the wilderness relates to that. Notice what he says. He says, remember that it was not your children who experienced the mighty hand of God, the outstretched arms, the sign that he performed and the things he did in the heart of Egypt, both to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to his whole country. And what he did to the Egyptian army, to its horses, its chariots, how he overwhelmed them with the waters of the Red Sea, as they were pursuing you and how the Lord brought lasting ruin on them. It was not your children who saw what he did in the desert. Now he changes from Egypt to the wilderness. But I want you to notice something. He tells the adult generation, these were those that were under 20 at Kadesh Barnea 40 years earlier. So you've got all of those. The oldest one would be, they'd be about 60 and above. So you got those 20, 40, those that were, that were older than 20 had died in the wilderness. But all those that were under 20 at Kadesh Barnea, there's a whole bunch of them that they were kids, they were children. So some of you Sunday school teachers that get discouraged and think, well, the kids don't pay attention, they don't know anything. Moses is appealing to a whole generation that were kids when God really worked in their life when they experienced the incredible wonders of Egypt, and Moses tells these that used to be kids that have now become the heartbeat adults of the, of the new generation. He says, I want you to never forget your firsthand experience with God. And what Moses is telling these adult Israelites, you need to go over with their kids. Later on in this chapter, he's going to tell them, when you get up in the morning, when you walk around during the day, when you go to bed at night, I want you to be relating to your kids the reality of what God has done for you because they haven't experienced it yet. They haven't had to face their enemy yet. Now they're going to. Their generation is going to have to walk into the Holy Land and they're going to have to fight Canaanites. So there's, there's always a new challenge for the next generation. How does the new generation get the courage to face the challenges that the old generation faced? By the older generation reminding the next generation. Some of you that are older. Some of you, Satan is tempting to say, man, I'm of no use anymore, and, and, and man, my body's getting a little bit weaker, so I guess I can't do anything, and, and I don't know where I fit anymore. It seems like the power is slipping away. Moses is saying to you, recount the history. Do you older generation know how important it is to remember a time? Let me just talk about our church history a little bit. Do you know what's easy? When you face a challenge, you can lose your courage. How do you get courage? It's when some of the older guys stand up and recount when they were not old at all. They were very young. When they gathered together in a group of five guys, and I'll never forget it, they looked at a young preacher and his wife that was teaching guitar lessons on the side, and his wife was working for a plastic surgeon in Dallas, and they said, we don't have any money. I said, great. We're not sure we can give you anything. The only thing we can assure you of, we will put food in your stomach because we have good gardens. 
We also have a daycare center here that we're going to buy. And we're going to believe that the Lord will provide. And we believe it's a good investment and the church will be born. You think those guys didn't have courage? You say, oh man, it was just, man, I, I look at the money that was involved, it was just meaty little things. But you know, when you're only a group of eight families, those are big challenges. And the older generation needs to remind the younger generation, think of all that's happened because of that. That's just one thing. You say, where did all that come from? Because a group of men had courage. And they believed the Lord would let them possess the land. They believed the Lord would conquer the enemies. Don't ever forget. You daddies, you daddies, do you recount your salvation history to your own kids? Do you talk about the work of God on your life? One of the things I do in premarital counseling is we're talking about, you know, some of the emotional things, some of the psychological things. We also talk about some of the spiritual things. And I try to get the young people to talk to me about their spiritual journey. Tell me about the way you've walked with God. What's been happening in your life? I often ask moms and dads when I'm with them, well, tell me about, you. Somebody, a mom and dad will come running up to me and says, hey, my kid's going to get engaged. It's going to be all excited. They're going to get married. I say, well, what do you know about their spiritual, their spiritual journey? And a lot of parents will go, spiritual journey? I haven't talked about that yet. I mean, we've talked about buying dresses. We've talked about churches. We've talked about places. But spiritual journey, who talks about that? That's the most important thing to talk about. In fact, if I had some of you stand up here in this audience, some of you had, you didn't even have a ceremony. I mean, you barely, you know, you barely stumbled in before, you know, who knows what. But you talked about your spiritual journey. You made sure you were really centered in the person of Jesus Christ. As kids come along, it's not going to work to just suddenly bring them to church. All the church can be is an aside to your main work of, of communicating your spiritual traditions. Do you talk about Jesus when you get up? Do you talk about your redemption when you go, when you go to bed? Do you talk about him through the day? Do your kids know? Do your kids know how you came to know the Lord, moms and dads? Have you told them about your journey and about how the Savior moved in your life? Have you talked to them about some of those great challenges in your life? It's important to do that. And Moses knew the importance. You know, just from a, from a casual standpoint, the United States of America is in very serious danger because we are forgetting our history. Now, as Texans, as Texans, you ought to know that really well. I've never been in a place that takes history more seriously. I mean, when, when we moved down here from the north, we were indoctrinated again and again and again. And, the, and we had it communicated very powerfully. Remember the Alamo. And Al made sure we went on a pilgrimage to the Alamo. And we had to go through that history. Jonathan and Joel have had it in school three times. They know more about the Alamo than they know about the American Revolution. Why? Because as Texans, you take your history seriously. Why do we do that? It shapes the culture. Those of you that have moved in from another state, you're not going to ever understand till you understand the history. 
Read Missioner's Book Texas, and you'll understand a little bit. And then listen. And let the older Texans that moved from Tennessee tell you about their history. You see, Moses understood in a biblical sense. We can tease a little bit about Texas history. But a culture that forgets their history ceases to be a culture. Now, when it comes to God's people's history, it becomes very, very important. And who communicates the history? Who communicates the traditions that have guided us? Not traditions in a negative sense, but who tells the younger ones about the victories that we've had in our family? Well, I, Mary and I are the only ones that can tell our kids about the choices of faith. We're going to believe that the Lord will provide us and we'll get in our car and drive to Texas and we'll go to seminary because we believe God's gifted us to teach the word of God. And we believe that if we put God first and we seek to allow his love to be expressed through our giftedness, that he'll meet our needs. And that's what we're going to build our family on. Our kids need to hear that history. And it's the older ones that tell the younger ones. Do your kids know how you came to know the Lord? Do they know those crucial times in your life when your faith was incredibly challenged and you thought it might not even work out, you might even not make it, but you cast yourself totally upon the Lord and he was there for you? You see, that's one of the reasons why we gather, to remember our history as individuals, as a church. But it's a much bigger story than that. We are part of the great kingdom of God, the great universal body of Christ around the world. Do you talk to them about that history too? All kinds of history. Missionaries that have gone out. Young people that have been challenged and moved into new areas. Remember your history. Moses says, heartbeat of the message, love the Lord your God with all of his heart. Why do nations fall? Why do they rise? They rise when they love the creator, almighty God, and they obey him. And I don't want to ever close a message like this without telling you the only way that we can obey is through the power of the cross and through the resurrection. Deuteronomy chapter 11 talks to you about a threat of rebellion against leadership. Now, you need to understand that there's a difference between the Mosaic leadership and church leadership today. A major difference. I'm not Moses. Nobody in this church is Moses. I want you to ask yourself who Moses is. I want you to read a story. You might want to work on it with your kid. It's, a, it's like a horror story. Numbers chapter 16. Suddenly, an, a, the earth opens up and swallows a whole a whole family of people. Why? You need to remember why. We're going to look at that story. There's a rebellion against leadership. The second part of Deuteronomy chapter 11 says, when you enter into the land, there is a hard-heartedness that develops because you're satisfied. And the people fall into idolatry. And I want you to think of discussing with your families, what are the movements in our own life that begin to suck us like a vacuum cleaner into rejecting the biblical God into just worshiping things? And then the chapter closes, and you could work on it with your families, it closes with a gigantic national celebration. In ancient Israel, they yelled at each other, blessings 
And then the other side would yell back a curse. One side would yell, if we love God and we obey him, we're going to be blessed forever. The other side, if we turn away from him, if we fall into the worship of Baal, we will be destroyed. And they'd yell back and forth. One side would yell, if we don't commit adultery, our families will be blessed. And the other side would yell back, if we commit adultery, then we're going to fall into the curse. When you talk about kids getting the message, it's got to be real. We've gathered together, not just to have a nice sentimental feeling. You are the people that hold your individual family's success and blessing or curses and destruction in your hand. And Moses said before you, will it be the blessing or will it be the curses? He says to you as a church family, will it be blessing, will it be cursing? As American citizens, he says nationally, I believe that this group that's hearing the word of God hold in their hand the destiny of the United States. I really believe that. I think the only reason the Lord continues to bless our nation. I've got news for you. If the Lord God of heaven says it's time for judgment, there's not an F-16 in the world that will protect us. The only protection that we ultimately have is in the Lord God of heaven and earth. And he's not a God of the lottery. He's a God of morality. And he sent his son to the world because sin is sin. But his son died because forgiveness is forgiveness. And his son rose again because new life is new life. It's time for us to share together honestly, learn the truth, and then invade the marketplace with a message that brings blessing.